Hey. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast, I Totally Relate. I'm Rissy. And I'm Shelves. And we hope you guys can totally relate. Okay, you guys, welcome back to I Totally Relate. We are so excited to share the next couple of episodes with you. Yes. Buckle up, buttercups. It's going to get heavy in here. It's been a long time coming, uh, especially being from where we are. We're hitting you with some faith transition stories. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah, we mean the Mormon church. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I... Carissa Arisi. I'm going to be sharing my story today in context to the Mormon religion. So how I was raised in it and my experience in leaving it. We will share some additional stories in the next couple of episodes. And we really wanted to share these with you in case you are also experiencing this if you are feeling lost if you feel Mm -hmm. alone just know that you are not and this will be a safe space to just hear how others have experienced this religion and and to lean in with some curiosity on why why we would feel like we need to or want to leave all right yeah we already did make mention that this is probably going to be a more heavy yeah. in emotion um, series that we work through. Uh, I think a big part of that is because when you belong to a high demand religion, such as Mormonism, these ideologies construct your entire self-identity. Mm. And so as you begin to untangle yourself from it, it feel there are moments that call for grief, moments that call for anger, mm. moments that call for sadness. And so it's just, a, it is a lot because it's so all encompassing. Mm. It can be a very heavy, heavy topic uh, for that reason. And so, yeah, if this gets hard and heavy for you, if you need to hit pause and come back to us when you're ready, feel free to do so. But we hope that you are, we hope that you can lean in with curiosity and, and hear the whole thing because the most magical part of all of this is that there is happiness and wholeness mm. and peace on the other side. Mm. Yes. Yes. So with that, should we go back to where it started for me? Yeah. Okay. So I grew up very very Mormon. Mm. So my mom was a member of the church and she came from a very religious family. Actually, this needs to be said. My mom's, I think, fifth or sixth great grandpa was Reynolds Cahoon, who was in the Book of Mormon. And he was like part of like Brigham Young's like gang of six like when they moved their whole cohort to salt lake and they declared this is a place like reynolds cahoon was like a big player in that and that he's actually in my mother's um line of genealogy wow and so my mom's grandparent like great grandma was like her pictures in the temple in manti they grew up in like a very small town wow. so 
yeah, my mom's family was super in it. My mom was in it. My dad is not. He has never been a member of the church. He's never been baptized. He didn't grow up with that in his family line at all. See season one. (laughs) Meet me at the fence for more details on that. Yes. I was raised, like my mom took me and my three brothers to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. So it was just a thing that she did. My dad didn't go. My mom did. And I don't, like there wasn't like conflict between them. It was like my dad was like, yeah, you do you. Go for it. And my mom's like, cool, I'm going to do this because, you know, she was very invested. For a long time, we lived in California and Montana. And so we were not Utah Mormons. Mm. Uh, We weren't Mormon just like everybody else on the block. We were like the only Mormons at the school. Or like I maybe knew one or two other kids in my age group that were Mormons that I went to school with. And and you remember living in California. You remember living in Montana. Mm -hmm. Like this is not you being so far beyond like yeah. you were going to school yeah yeah so uh, and like a lot especially in montana because i went to school from like third grade till seventh grade in montana so like you know all my elementary and, and beginning into uh mid middle school years like yeah I, I wasn't growing up in utah yeah and i do like my mom was like the young women's president mm. um or like one of the counselors like my mom was very active in her wards Oh, actually, I think when we were in, when we lived in California, she was a primary president too. And so we always Mm. had a community of people that like my mom would hang around with that were Mormons. So like other, other moms and their kids. Okay. But when I would go to school, like nobody else was. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So because my mom was very religious very much into the Mormon church and I'm going and my brothers are going and my dad wasn't, you know, obviously this like creates some curiosity within a young child's mind. Like, okay, if I'm going to church and I'm laying up my treasures in heaven and I'm building that mansion in the clouds for my afterlife, um, but my dad's not going, like, what's going to happen to my dad? Like, I remember being very mm. concerned for my dad's welfare as a young child, which right now feels like so embarrassing, to be honest. To That's think, an interesting word, embarrassing. Yeah, yes, embarrassing. It was not embarrassing back then because I was a young child and I felt a lot of fear on behalf of my dad and what would happen to him when he died. Um, It's embarrassing now as I look back on it because the church taught me that because I was a faithful member of the church in a way that made me better then, you know? And and I don't think that they say that in like those exact words, but there's, there's there's a vibe, there's a feeling, there's like an energy of like, yeah, you don't wanna mingle you don't want to mix and mingle with well, the, those who are sinning. And I with was the not unrighteous. Sinning. Yeah. Yeah. I when you, am a righteous person. Yes. I have the truth. He does not. I am a faithful member of the church. He is not. Like, and so it creates this distance between people who are in and, and out. And as a young child, I felt very, very, very responsible for my dad's salvation. And so I, like a very good rule follower that I am, tried very hard to 
do all the right things to be a good example to my dad because they told me if I was a good member of the church, then if I was a good example, my dad would get baptized. And even if it wasn't in this life, he would have the choice in the next life and he would be looking to me because I was a member like, well, did she live a good life? Would I Mm. want to do what she did? And so I felt very responsible for, yeah, his his choices in the afterlife um, and his salvation as a very young child. I always, like, oh my gosh, okay, this is kind of, it's kind of embarrassing as I'm thinking about like all the all the different times that like I was like hey let's have family home evening and like I would put together a lesson and I would teach my parents and my brothers like a lot of like I had a journal like in one day I would like be journaling and and then the next page would be like the family home evening lesson that I wanted to teach like I was constantly trying to teach the gospel in our home Mm. and And while there was some fear around that, there was a little bit of, it's okay that he doesn't, like, get baptized right away. Because I know that, like, well, he still has the option in in the next life. And with time, Mm -hmm. like, this is a budding seed. Yes, yes. And so I just need to continue to be faithful. And eventually, this is going to work out. Like, it felt almost as if there was a promise made to me. Oh, Um, okay. And so... It was fear in, like, my own decision-making process. Like, okay, make sure you do the right thing. But it wasn't fear in the long term because I knew if I chose to do the right thing, it would work out. (laughs) You had that guarantee. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, so that's, like, a, a very, like, guiding principle for me as I continue to, like, maneuver through life's challenges. But I do want to deliberately say that, like, one of the reasons why I feel like the environment of the Mormon church is so toxic is because why in the world are we, A, teaching people that they are responsible for other people's behaviors and actions? Mm. And why are we making young children responsible for adults' behaviors and actions? And I feel like that in and of itself allows us to engage in life without boundaries because I am not responsible for myself. I mean, I am, but I'm also responsible for you and you and you because you will interact with me. And I am an example of God because you know I'm a Mormon. And so like it in a way made me responsible for everybody that I interacted with. Wow. And so as I go through life, I mean, you want to talk about like, why do I want to learn about boundaries as a 36-year-old woman? Is Because when when a normal human being would learn about boundaries, you know, I was soaked in a religion that was hell-bent on making sure that I did not implement boundaries because that, that would, you know, dissolve the whole thing. And therefore, I, I want to be participating in these behaviors. And so I, I just want to make it very clear and aware that, like, from a very young age, I was taught not to have boundaries and to be responsible for every. I know it's hard when you see someone cry for your for your story. No, 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 it's OK. I thank you. It, I feel loved. And it's actually very validating because it feels wrong when I say it. And when I see you cry for me, then I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. that is wrong. And that there is something better we can give our future generation. Mm-hmm. And so 
yes, once again, these conversations are not meant to just like shit talk the church. The, the conversations are meant to to name the pain and the, and the harm that was done to me and therefore have power over my own body and my own sovereignty again. Then when I'm in seventh grade, I move, we move to Utah. So we have family here in Utah. My dad moves us closer to his family, who are not Mormon. By the way, they're in Utah and they're not Mormons. Um, <laughs> so I, we move into Orem and I actually move in one house away from my spouse. So I move in next, essentially next door to Tim. He was my first kiss. Get this. We did play spin the bottle after young men's, young women's activity, like on Wednesday <laughs> night. Like our parents still think we're at like young women's and we're like <laughs> in someone's backyard bottle. playing spin the bottle. Probably actually my backyard because. Um, well, you had the non-Mormon dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we moved to Utah. I move in next door to to my soon to be in-laws and this is where things get this is where things start to change for me so we move in and my dad is not a member of the church and so there is like there's a strong distinction between my house and my family and the rest of the neighborhood Mm. and they make sure that we know this like at one point somebody hangs a dead snake on our doorknob with a with a note that says house of the serpent yeah. What? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine coming home and there's a dead snake hanging on your doorknob. House of the Serpent. Is that is that a dig in the Mormon yes. thing? Yes. Well, because Adam and Eve were deceived by the serpent. Remember, the oh. serpent comes and convinces Eve to take the apple. So she does in which Adam falls and then all transgressions are made from thenceforth. So... Um, yeah, oh. so the serpent it was the deceiving character okay. that led Adam and Eve away from God. I wonder who who taught those children that. Like, yeah. You know, like yep. that. Yeah. Because that sounds like a kid thing to do, like to hang some. Anyways, this is yeah. important. It, it sounds like a young teenage funny boy thing to do. Sure. Right? Like, like who's catching snakes? And they're like. Sure. Yeah. But like the whole like. You know, with the sign, like you're just like, whoa, that's a whole nother level. Yeah, that's like a that's like a hate crime. Yeah. So, so that happens. I have a very, very best friend. I I'll say her first name. I won't use their last name, but Melanie. Melanie was my best friend. Like we hung out every day. She lived. So I lived on a street straight across from my street was a cul-de-sac. So like my house faced into like that little. A circle, and uh, my friend Melanie lived in the cul-de-sac, and so we were like essentially two houses away from each other. Okay, so we hung out after school all the time, and or or even I would walk over to her house and pick her up, and then we would walk to school together. Right, like, right. We did so many things together. One day, I don't even know what day it was because it's like a random day. Like it wasn't like anything had happened. It wasn't like anything had changed. There, there wasn't a situation that like triggered it, not to my knowledge anyways, but I go over to, I knock on Melanie's door like, hey, can Melanie come play today? And, and she informs me, I can't play with you anymore. And I'm like, oh, why not? Like, okay. Like, you know, this like immediately you feel like, well, you're that yeah like in shock or like well there must be a mistake like are you joking or like what do you mean like you can't play today mm-hmm. you got something to do yeah 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 
And she said, well, your dad doesn't hold the priesthood, so you don't have the priesthood in your home, so I cannot play with you. You are going to have premarital sex. I mean, I'm a 12-year-old girl. I might even be 11 years old this time. And I'm like, ew, gross. I would never. You know, like, I'm I'm appalled. I'm freaked out because, like, how does Melanie know this about me and I don't know this about me? How is that so truthful? Yeah. And so... Once again, you know, we're just enforcing that boundaries are not a thing because, you know, we are able to make decisions for other people here. You know, like this is basically what is being reinforced is that we make our decisions based on other people, not based on our own truths or or our own needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, so I start losing some friends. Because my dad's not a member of the church. Mm-hmm. Our house is... Ostracized? Yeah. Yeah. I think even at one point they, like, put a cat in my mom's car overnight. And the cat just, like, freaked out and peed everywhere. And, I mean, it was just weird. Like, I think these are, like, kind of crazy, pranky things that, like, maybe teenage boys do. But it was just happening to our house. So... Yeah. It felt targeted. Yeah. So that was really weird. I will say, like, so I have three little brothers, and I think there there was a lot that I was able to kind of be protected from because I was always with my gender. I didn't really even get the full extent that, like, my brothers did because, like, when you're in Boy Scouts, like, you do, like, uh, father-son campouts or, like, mm. you, you do a lot of those things with your dad because he's also a priesthood holder. And so I know that my brothers experienced a lot of grief and exclusion, mm. maybe even on, like, deeper levels than I did because they were directly tied to, like, the priesthood in that way. Oh. And so... So you're living next door to your future in-laws. Mm-hmm. You're in this neighborhood. Are you dating Tim at this point? Well, not in high school. I am kissing him, but I okay. am not dating him until we until we graduate high school. And as soon – like we – yeah, we start dating like as soon as we're graduated okay. into the summer as I'm going into – And you're devout Mormon throughout all of high yes, school. Yes, yes, yes. Very. Like, I'm going to church every Sunday. So that was the other thing that was really confusing to me is, like, when people would say, like, they couldn't hang out with me or they couldn't play with me, I didn't really understand because I was going to church every Sunday. Like, I was taking the sacrament. I'm going to young women's. Like, I am in it. But just because, like, my family unit as a whole wasn't, Mm. then it discounted even. Like, it just made, like, my membership, like, just cheap cheaper well wasn't your family going it just wasn't your dad so when we were in montana oh good question when we were in you uh california and montana yes the whole family was going but by the time we moved back to utah my mom got a job and she was working every other sunday Mm. and my dad his job he was like an over the road trucker and so he was only home on sundays and tuesdays so if my mom if it was a sunday that my mom wasn't working it was one of two days she would see my dad that week. Mm. So my mom stopped going to church because her schedule and and like how our family situation had lined up. And because my mom wasn't going to church, she wasn't really enforcing my brothers to go to church. And so they can they would go with me for a little bit and then they slowly st- I mean, my mom's at work and so like I'm getting them dressed and ready to like go to church. You know, and okay. finally it's just like 
I'm just gonna go. Yeah, yeah like yeah. I'm a teenage girl. Like I'm just gonna go. Well, and I'm sure it's like mom's gone. I'm gonna ride my bike with the, yeah. you know, with yeah. and brothers. They yeah. have you have they have all these brothers. Yeah, and so yeah. You're like a girl. You're feeling that pressure. You're also a little older. You want to socialize. There's yeah. cute boys. Yes. Oh, there's a super cute boy who like is in my Sunday school class. Yeah. And yeah, and this is where my friends are. And so like I I want to go, and I. And I love my family so much. Like, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this for us, you guys. Yeah. God, that is so... That's a lot. Yeah, it, it is just... That's a lot to, like... You know, plus, like, I'm already the oldest and the only girl. So there's already, like, responsibility, I feel, on mm-hmm. my shoulder when it comes to, like, doing the chores of the house and Right. Well, and you have that pressure, too, where your mom would work nights... And your dad was a trucker, mm-hmm. so he's gone. Yeah, there's, like, this already natural pressure and then, like, this added pressure mm-hmm. from this religion. I had had a couple of experiences with boys in high school where, you know, maybe we kissed for too long mm-hmm. or, like, this was a big thing, I will just tell you. So, like, grabbing the boobs, like, over the shirt, like, and by boobs, there were no boobs. Like, <laughs> the boys at the time had the same size boobs as me <laughs> at this point, right? But it's just, like, this, like, going over the shirt thing. Right. And so I, you know, from the time of high school, I'm like, okay, well, I guess I, I got to go confess to the bishop. So since, you know, I, since the age of, like, 14, 15, 16, I started going to the bishop to confess my sexual sins. And at first it was like just so embarrassing and I mean it's just so embarrassing. There the the purity culture in the church. So the worth of a young man is defined by his worthy priesthood holding. And for a girl uh, for a young woman and even even not a young woman, even as you like go into your older years, your worth is defined on your purity. And mm-hmm. so you have worth because you're not allowing other people to enjoy or touch or have pleasure with your body. Yeah. My friend's grandpa described it as don't let anybody lick your icing. Like take oh. your take your your yeah. icing off the cupcake. Yes, yes. Like that you nobody wants a nobody eats a cupcake that's icing's already been touched or licked. Oh, yeah. Oh my Which god. Which is what they're yes. teaching, right? Yes. Oh like, my am god. I wrong? Yeah. No, no. You are right. <laughs> Actually, um, funny story. So I randomly found this girl on Instagram. Maybe my mom sent me uh, her account. But she ma- she's an ex-Mormon, and she makes candles, and she titles the candles these really funny Mormonism. Thing. Like, I think one of them is, like, f- like licked cupcake or frostingless cupcake. We, oh. they're, they're, we will, I will find it. I will put it in the chewed show gum. notes. Chewed gum? Yeah. <laughs> the chewed gum yeah. analogy. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's already, I mean, as a woman in America, yeah. it's already, like, embarrassing to feel like you are a sexual being then you layer on like a a occultish high demand religion that teaches women that their worth comes from abstaining from that kind of behavior and so as a young child having to go in and talk to like really like essentially when you look back at it it's it's just some guy in my neighborhood I start to develop this shame around it because like I've already had to go talk to him once like okay now I have to go talk to the bishop again like then it starts to be like oh my gosh like I have a problem 
something is wrong with me. Mm. Okay, so I think it only happens twice in high school. We have a lot of men in our family. I have like a lot of, I feel like masculine energy. Like I just feel like, I just feel like I'm a sexual being. Like I just, yeah. Maybe that's like a normal thing. Maybe every girl feels that way. But yeah, like, girl. <laughs> but so, so much of me, of my time growing up just felt like, well, that can't, like that is of the devil. Mm. I'm getting this from the devil. Like that's mm. the devil in me, right? And mm. so I, I really start to, yeah, I really start to feel like, I shouldn't feel good. I I think if I put the most basic words or like if I try to like really think about what was really happening in my mind at the time is I start believing that like I, my body shouldn't feel good because when it feels pleasure, that is Satan. It's leading me me. to a bad place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so this becomes like terrifying and I am still an 18 year old girl with a very steady boyfriend like a very steady boyfriend like I mean let's see we dated for five years so we have sex before we get married and this is where like some of this shame comes in because remember like I want to be a good example for my dad and for my brothers and so oh here you are yeah I need to have a temple marriage because like this is how I stay in communion with God and oh god it's just so it's sorry it's kind of crazy like when i think back on like how like twisted that is but like okay this is like really weird i cannot believe this is happening behind the microphone i'm just kind of realizing that like oh yeah this is so fucked up um i'm realizing that like when i would feel like good when my body felt good um yeah i I think it's like tied to like the men in my family, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to let them down or like their salvation depends on the fact that I don't experience this. And so, God, that's so, I might not leave that in because this is like, that's really raw. I'm just discovering this. Um, anyways, I, yeah, I start really feeling like, okay, I never want to be turned on. So before, and, and this is like concretely, is that a word? Concretely, like, solidified as, well, he was my boyfriend at the time. He's getting ready to go on a mission. And so I, like, have to go talk to the bishop and confess. So at this time, I am in a singles ward in Orem. And I go in to talk to the bishop. And I tell him, like, oh, I'm here, you know, to confess that, like, I broke the law of chastity. And he's like, okay, like... You know, that could be anything. Like, was it necking or heavy petting? They yes. ask you that. And I'm like, yes, and? <laughs> and yes, so, and? <laughs> so then I have to say to this old man, so I'm like, you know, 18, 19-year-old girl saying this, to this very old man, I had sex with my boyfriend. And he says, did you enjoy it? And I interpreted that in my mind, like, did he have consent? Like, did I want that to happen? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, yes. It w- Like, I... I Agreed to it. Yes. And I don't even know, like, I can't even tell you, like, what words I used because, I mean, at this point, like, I don't even feel like I'm in my body. Like, oh, yeah. I am in a... Uh, Full-blown trauma mode at that point. Yes. Yeah. Like, because I'm already confessing, like, something so embarrassing that, like... Yeah you know, once this guy knows this and, like, I'm losing my worth, like, well, God already knows this. 
And now this guy's going to know this. Well, and there's so much shame beyond it. How many friends were you telling? How many, like, mm-hmm. what was that? Like, there's a lot of shame that leads mm-hmm. up to that. And so it's like that moment that's yeah. got to feel yeah. real scary. Yeah. So You even told your whole worth is on this. Yeah. 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 And so I say, oh, no, like, it was consensual. Like, I I wanted to participate in it. And, and he said, no, were you wet? And so now at this point, like, I feel like, I mean, I could, I could barf, I could barf on the table about this, right? Like, I mean, and at that time, did I even know what that meant? Like, I mean, cause I'm not, I don't know about sex. Like it was something that I participated in with this person. But this very ambiguous But I don't really know it. Like I've never seen porn. I don't talk about sex with my friends. Like we don't, so like I'm hearing this term and I'm probably trying to be like, I don't know, was I? But like instinctually like at the gut level I knew like this is wrong but because I'm talking to the bishop who is a man of God I feel like I'm talking to God so I feel so much shame about my body I feel shame about how my body is responding uh, you know to my boyfriend and And I don't know what I said. Like, maybe I didn't say anything. Maybe I said yes. Maybe I said no. I have no idea. I do remember him asking me, were my nipples hard? I have no idea what I answered to this. Like, I have no idea. But I remember hearing these things and like, I don't, maybe I was like, maybe, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm being perceived because I'm not even in my body at this time, right? I'm just like, this is terrifying and scary. So, so then he tells me, okay, well, while your boyfriend's on a mission, like you, you need to come to church every Sunday and not take the sacrament the whole time he's on his mission. That will be your repentance process. And I also had to go before three men. So I had to, so I had to confess to him. And then he's like, you're going to have to, you know, like you could be excommunicated over this. What? Oh yeah. Well, also because sexual sins are only after murder like murder is the worst and you could do no no no. let me rephrase that denying god once you bore witness of him is the worst thing you could do murdering somebody is second and then sexual sins are third so i mean at this point i feel like well i might as well be a goddamn murderer and my body is like so wrong i cannot believe like you know i feel like here i am in this conversation with god and he's asking me did your body do this and so i'm like oh my gosh my body should not do this And so I think, like, I can't ever let my body do that again. (sighs) So, like, I'm, I mean, at this point, like, I'm wearing padded bras. Like, I don't want anyone to ever see if I have RT. Like, (laughs) oh, my God. (laughs) If somebody knew, and, like, keep in mind, like, this is a natural thing that happens if you, like, hit it too hard or if it's too cold or, like, I mean, this is a natural response. Or you get chills or, yeah. Like, women cannot control that. I mean, I wish I could if I wish I could just on demand. I'd be hard all the time y'all <laughs> <laughs> but like I can't you know and so I'm like it's terrifying so I'm wearing like super padded bras and I'm just like never ever 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 wanting to feel turned on I, w- I would never want my vagina to get wet like that would be like the most appalling obviously if that was something he felt compelled to ask like that w- must be like one of the worst things I could do okay so I had to tell him I could have been excommunicated 
Um, so you have to tell three other men. Yeah. So he's like, you you could get excommunicated for this. So you're going to need to go before. And I don't even know. At the time, I knew who it was. Maybe it's like the stake president and his two counselors. I don't know. So now you have this very young girl in a room with three men. and Bishop included? I don't. It wasn't the same guy. So it must have been okay. the stake president at this point. Okay. I don't, I don't know who else, like, why would I have, I don't know. I'm sure Mormons listening to this are like, oh, it was these people. (laughs) I'm sure there's like a protocol for it. So, okay. So now I have to go before them and tell them what happened. On the same day or is this like a. Nope, I had to leave. And I, they had to schedule the appointment. I have to come back. So I got to, this is like a whole nother. So like. like looming on the calendar. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's just like, just eating away at me the whole time. That's blowing my mind. Like I might be excommunicated. I've not heard of this. My, like. I hope they have mercy on me because what if I get excommunicated? Then what? Jesus. My boyfriend's on a mission. Oh, God. My dad's salvation. Who I love and I'm waiting for, it. right? Oh, yeah. Like that you're like, like this yeah. was like a very, like a very committed. Yeah. No, I was waiting for him. I had like the whole temple picture. And the I bubbles. Colored, I colored mm-hmm. in a bubble every day. Yeah, I remember yeah, I was, you doing that. Yeah, yeah. I was like there. I mean, I'm writing him letters every single week. I'm sending him packages every holiday. Like I, like it wasn't a willy nilly thing. It was like, no, this is like the guy I love. Like we, you know, I'm going to marry, I'm going to be his wife. And so... So I go in another day and talk to three men. And the way that the process went, it was like a storytelling. Like, they, like so where were you? What were you wearing? Where, where did you go? What did you do? How did he touch you? Like, it, I felt like I was like verbally explaining a, a porno to three men basically is what it felt like because I had to tell them the story of what happened. Is this protocol for um, for all church members? Well, that depends on the bishop. I am not the only person who has gone through this. Lots of women have so- stories very similar to mine. And some women don't because... It just depends on the bishop. You get some bishops who are like, okay, you know, someone's like, yeah, try not to do that anymore. And then you have other bishops who. You're describing in detail mm-hmm. a sexual act mm-hmm. that I don't even do to my friends, Mm-mm. let alone strangers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who are acting on behalf of God. Like, let's not forget, like, that's like the most important aspect to me is like, you know, in my mind, I think like God is testing me. He already knows, like, he already saw it happen. Oh. And so he's testing me. Am I going to be honest? Carissa, are you an honest person? Oh, God. Are you going to lie to me? So so you're doing a play-by-play. What was that like? like did you uh, feel assaulted? That feels I like mean, an assault. I feel sick to my stomach. I'm like I, I, just sickened. But I feel like, well, that's what happens when you sin. Like uh, it doesn't feel good to sin. Like this is what happens. What do you think hell feels like? You think hell feels good? Like... No, this is what I get. This is this is what happens. You asked for this, Carissa. Look at what you did. You just did the third worst sin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That happened. I had no I, I had no idea that happened and I'm a little bit baffled by that. Yeah. And I don't understand. I what did they tell you? Oh, so oh yeah. So I have to do the whole thing and then I have to go outside and let them converse. 
Lord knows what they're talking about. Like while I'm sitting outside and they're just talking amongst themselves, deciding my fate. Is this girl going to be excommunicated, disfellowshipped or not? And they come to the conclusion that I seem repentant. And so they won't excommunicate me, but I will not be able to take the sacrament until my missionary returns home from his mission. Hmm. So I have to Isn't keep that how you, like, going keep to church. Your covenant with God is mm-hmm. through that sacrament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't make. Okay. Yeah. So okay. show up. If you if I don't show up, if I stop coming to church, then that doesn't then that doesn't count. I need to come to church, and not take the sacrament, or that that that's not repenting. Oh. So I do it. Okay. My boyfriend comes home from a mission. We get married in the temple. Mm -hmm. That whole thing. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. So the temple marriage. So nobody in my family was allowed to go into the temple with me except for my grandma and my grandpa. My grandma, who I'm not close to at all, who um, has been emotionally abusive to me and emotionally and physically abusive to my mom. My grandpa, I do love my grandpa. Um, He's passed, so, but he was able to be there. My mom, my dad, my brothers, my cousins, who I'm very close to, right? Like, we've always been very, very close. Oh, yeah. Um, Like brothers and sisters. I feel like our relationship is more like sibling. Yeah. No, no one, none of them. No one. No one has a temple recommend, so nobody can come to my (laughs) wedding. So... I get married in in front of my husband's family, basically. And I I mean, there's there were so like it's really weird because it's like I marry my husband, but my husband marries God, so like we're both in we're not married to each other, we're both married to God, maybe is like I don't know. A lot of this I've like tried to put out of my mind, but like I remember I remember just being like in the ceremony, feeling like this is so weird. It didn't feel like love. Like, it didn't feel loving. It didn't. It was like, you, your marriage will be blessed as long as you both are good to God. Mm-hmm. Super messed up. Actually, you want to know what? Hold on. We're going to have to go back a second. So in, before you can get married in the temple, you have to go through the temple first and get your endowments out. What the heck does that even mean? I don't know. These are just things we say. They just fly off our, the, our lips because we hear it said over and over again. But like... That's what I did. I had to go take my endowments out. And basically what I computed that to was like, oh, I need to go through so that I can get the garment. Once I have garments, then I can go through the temple and get married. So my mom's not allowed to go to the temple with me because she doesn't have a temple recommend. But she's very supportive. So she has family ties to the Manti temple. So she's like, you should go through the Manti temple. So I'm like, okay, like that's, you know, this is like my connection to my ancestors. So I go through the Manti temple with my mother-in-law, not my mom. And she's not even my mother-in-law yet. You know, she's my soon-to-be mother-in-law. And the Manti temple is super weird because, like, in the when you go to the temple, you watch a movie that, like, basically tells you the story of Adam and Eve and reminds you of, like, why you go to the temple. But in the Manti temple, they act it out. You watch a play, not a movie. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. It's actually really funny that I say this out loud. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's whack. <laughs> like Grandma Karen and Grandma <laughs> Oh, yeah. Totes. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, for reals. And it's super old people, like, dressed <laughs> up. <laughs> so they're wearing their temple clothes, but then they have, like, a costume over it. 
so it's like it's like a, a sixth grade play really you can see like their jeans underneath but instead they're white pants and <laughs> and then their outfit over the top and so you're like in like an auditorium type thing yeah you're, you're in, like you're in like it's kind of like a chapel setting right like they've got the pews and then like up on the stage you just have these old people acting out this play <laughs> It's weird. Okay, so I'm watching. I'm just like, the whole thing is like, where you have like this guy who's like the old guy who was like acting like the serpent. And I'm like, that guy's a bad guy. He's pretending to be Satan, dude. That guy's whack. <laughs> like, that's weird. So I feel so weird about all of that. And is there a part of you that kind of finds it comical in a way? No, because I'm I'm being traumatized at this time. Okay. Because oh, okay. We're, do, okay. we're also doing other things like um, parts of you are being blessed. So they like touch you over your, okay, over your navel. You also have like your nipples like have like signs on them. Like when you put the garment on, they have like symbols on the garment on the nipples. And so like they weren't like really touching my boobs, but like over your body they bless those body parts so like oh, like hovering their hands mm-hmm. over your yeah yeah you can still feel the energy of that oh yeah but like and whatever. it's gross energy so so that happened and then we go in this room and we watch this play and then we go in another room and p.s everyone's dressed whack. like i remember looking over at tim and me like oh my god you look weird <laughs> like dude you look what is that hat Take the hat off. Dude, I got a weird veil over my face. I'm wearing like these granny slippers and these socks. It's not funny because it's so traumatizing. It is a whack no. But like I remember feeling like so weird. (laughs) It's so weird. Yeah, you wear these like kind of like knee-high socks with like these little slippers over them and like you have your dress on and you have like a veil and you have like a clip in your hair and like, I mean, yeah, girls like, oh, and you have like aprons on to like signify that like the fig leaf from um, Adam and Eve. It's weird. It's so weird. And so, and then like, and you don't know. So, okay, here's the, here's the very important part. You cannot talk about the temple outside of the temple. And so in order to prepare somebody for the temple like the right way you still can't talk about it so like they they tell you as much as they can Uh without telling you anything so what you're saying is more than what a member would say oh i would be excommunicated 100 for saying actually that would be nice if you guys could excommunicate me that would be fabulous because (laughs) i'm actually in the process of trying to take my papers out and they won't or to uh, get my records removed and they won't do it it would be a much faster process if you just excommunicate me (laughs) Um, no shit. Huh? Anyway, so, uh, yeah, you are not allowed to talk about this outside the temple. So I'm going through this, and I don't know what's happening. And I don't have my mom with me. Like, mm. so I'm going through this, like, what is that? And I can't, I have no one that I feel like I can ask, like, oh, that's weird. Like, I want to, like, be able to, like, you know how, like, when something funny happens, you, like, squeeze someone's hands or, like, touch their knee or something? Like, I have none of that. Mm. I'm just, like, alone. I'm, like, so everyone else feels the spirit right now? And I'm like, this is weird. This is really weird. And like, and you're doing weird things. They have like a weird prayer circle. And like, you're raising your hands at certain times. And like, the guys just stand up out of nowhere. And like, I, <laughs> it's so weird. It's like, it's like, <laughs> and you're just like, what, what, what did I miss? <laughs> you start standing up. <laughs> but that would be weird if I stood up because only the guys stood up. So it's like, you don't. You don't know what is going on. Uh. And the weird thing is that they everyone knows you don't know what you don't know what's going on, <laughs> but they're like follow along. Like <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so they're like just cool. watching you like 
take social cues, right? They mm. know that you're it that in and of itself, like once again, very, very toxic environment that like they know and they're just like, you know. Yeah. Which you guys can see me do, but like they're, they're just like making motions, like yeah, go along, go along, go along. Like do it, yeah, good job. Oh, you did it right, mm-hmm. good job. Yeah. So then we finally get into the celestial room, and I remember my mother-in-law hugging me, and she's like, "Don't you feel this spirit so strong?" And I was like, uh, no. "No." Did you feel like something was wrong with you? Yeah, remember I had sex before I was married, so. That's why. Mm, that's the and answer to God knows mm. that I did that, and this is this is a consequence. Mm, I mean, you can justify everything because you are not a perfect being, and so God becomes this very punishing, yeah, cre- like figure in your life. I was gonna say you almost start to just remember all of the wrong yeah. that you did because you feel like it's being tallied against you, mm-hmm. rather than being told, mm-hmm. oh. I've also done something mm-hmm. like that or yeah. y- y- you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so there's no alleviating of making a mistake because mm-hmm. mistakes happen. Yeah. So you're, you're tallying them. Yeah. You're remembering them. Well, it's even deeper than that, Shelby, because let's not forget Christ already died for my sins. So not only am I tallying them, but God has already tallied them. Uh, we already have a record of all the dumb things you're going to do. And your brother, who loved you so much, has already felt that pain for you. So then there's like this extra excruciating shame. It's like, oh, great. Not only did I do that and I feel shame and embarrassment from it, but like also Christ felt that pain for me too. Like, And then you feel bad that like you did something bad to like make him hurt more. But also, like, I, you probably just feel terrible where it's like, well, it's already been done, so I've already doing all these things, mm-hmm. so I'm a terrible person. Well, and it's really shameful because it's like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, God knew I was going to do that. He knew mm. I was going to do that. He knew I was going to do that, and I still did it. Like, it's it's so – it just perpetuates yeah. shame on, like, such a disgusting and, like, illogical level, but – I mean, Here we is. are. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that was my experience going through the temple well, you, first. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then I, got, and then like a week later or a couple days later, you then I actually went through and got married. To be married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So then we get married in the temple and I do not like the temple. Like I didn't feel great about it. I remember wanting to, like, I mean, it's a beautiful place, but. I didn't feel good in there at all. None mm-hmm. of it made sense to me. None of it made sense to me at all. Like, they're using words we don't use in church. They're doing, like, secret handshakes that, like, I can't remember. I feel super weird in my body in there. Mm. I feel like I don't belong there anyways. Mm. Like, I'm a sinful person. Like, I'm not good enough to go to the temple. Mm. Okay, I just want to pause right here for a moment and just kind of reflect on temples altogether. I think that they possibly are great for people, a place to maybe kind of get in touch with yourself. But like the idea and the concept of a temple, I mean, it is a overly lavish building on land that is valuable and it's very, very, very exclusive. So like this, like I know like in 
story of the tree of life you know they talk about like hold to the rod the iron rod and you have these faithful members who are holding onto the rod as they go through life in the dark and they can look over and see this great and spacious building and the great and spacious building is um, symbolic for the people who are worldly they have worldly things and they look down on the people who are holding onto the rod and they mock them and they feel like they're better than and the whole point of the story is that you you don't want to be in the great and spacious building. Like that's where like the the worldly people are. You want to be holding to the rod, the iron rod, which is the word of God. Like you want to be like that person. And I just find it very interesting and extremely hypocritical that the Mormon church has temples um, that are exactly great and spacious buildings filled with entirely worldly secular uh, treasures that the only way you can even actually access that is if you pay to play because you have to have a temple recommend in order to go and like one of the most important like the the thing that like you're pending on um if you can have a temple recommend or not is if you pay a full tithing and so i'm interested to know how they how they know if they pay do you pay a full tithing like oh how do they know if you're being they keep record of it yeah so i mean i guess i guess you could pay like actually eight percent and tell them it's 10%, but the Lord would know that you are lying. Oh, okay. So, so you're literally paying Mm -hmm. for. You pay to play, dude. If you want to go into the temple, you better pay the church at least 10% of your money. And if you don't, you. And they say, they will say that there are other things, that it's not just about that. But like, my mom couldn't go to my wedding because the whole tithing thing. My mom is an incredible, loving, wonderful human being who should have been with her daughter at her wedding and it was pending that question and so yeah so I I think hmm I mean you say it's about other things but I mean we got people who like jack off to porn regularly and they still are able to maintain their temple Mm -hmm. recommend but you have bishops touching that yeah yep yeah so So yeah, so that's the temple. Okay, so, but I'm still in it, right? So like, I, I don't feel worthy to go to the temple, but I'm still going to church every week. Like, Are you paying tithing? Are yes. you? Oh yeah, we are full tithing payers, absolutely. This is what happens. I mean, I never questioned anything. Like, I never questioned anything. I was true blue, believing, until this situation. My brother-in-law was in a car accident in which his wife passed away. He got remarried after that, and I remember the conversation, like, in the kitchen at the family dinner was around, you know, so-and-so had to go get her previous temple marriage annulled, and I was like, oh, so does, you know, my brother-in-law need to do that, too, and they were like, no, and I was like, wait, so he's going to be married to his wife who passed away and also be married to the woman he's marrying now, and they were like, yeah. And I was like, wait, but hold on. That's polygamy. And they're like, well, we don't practice it here on earth. I mean, then this is when all the questions start coming up. I start getting like, yeah, real anxiety. Like I start thinking about this all the time. I start questioning like, wait, hold on. So you're telling me that there is like, then I'm thinking like, oh my God, I hope I don't die because then Tim's going to remarry another lady. And then and I'm going to have to be Share married to Tim, Tim yeah. in the afterlife. And I was like, oh my God, I hope I don't die. 
And then someone recommended a book to me called No Man Knows My History, and it's the uh, it's the history of Joseph Smith. And this is when I start learning really what real principles of the gospel are. This is when I start learning like where they came from and how Joseph Smith implemented them and where he heard of it and then how he made sure that like that also happened in his religion. And I, I mean, I remember one time like going on a bike ride with my husband and like in one moment we're riding bikes and I feel so good and so connected to him. And then I was like, but he's not gonna experience this with me. He's gonna experience this with a lot of women and so, like, well, I mean, I hope I'm the most important wife to him. <sighs> like, then I start, like, so then I'm just riding my bike, just crying. And I remember, like, Tim pulls over, and we, like, go to sit down on a bench, and I'm sobbing. He's like, are you okay? Like, he, like in his mind, he's like, yeah, he's, having a, bike a, ride. he's having a great bike ride. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm, like, envisioning the celestial kingdom in which I am one of however many wives Tim has chosen to take. And what does that mean, though? Like, meaning in the spirit world, men are able to okay. take? Okay, great question. So <clears throat> in the religion, we don't talk about Heavenly Mother ever. They say it is because Heavenly Mother is so sacred, we would not want to desecrate her name. Think about how often people say, oh, my God, and they take the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, I've heard that before. And yeah. so we don't want to talk about Heavenly Mother that way because we would not want to, you know, Sounds like you just didn't make this person up, but whatever. (laughs) So when I start reading this book and I start asking questions, I I learn and I realize that like, oh, we don't talk about Heavenly Mother because there isn't one. How, I mean, do you think one woman could have all these spirit children? Like if we think that like, okay, so basically um, God and his wife copulate and she bears a spirit child. Do you think one woman could have all of these souls that have lived on this Uh. planet so far? No, there's no way. So God needs to copulate with many women mm. so that many spirit children may be born. And so it's just it's just part of it. That's just how it happens so that we can have a world. Isn't that so beautiful? No. No, it's, it's disgusting. It makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah. Um, so we don't talk about Heavenly Mother because we don't know who she is. She okay. is one of many. She is a nameless, faceless idea. What's most important is God. Mm. and so and so yeah like I mean this just starts eating at me I am like sick to my stomach all the time I'm reading this book I start questioning and then and then I start asking questions to about this time we start having friends with some other people who aren't members of the church and and so this topic comes up and and I start learning that like oh even 14 years after the civil rights act passed 14 years later the church allowed black men to hold the priesthood and i was like wait you're telling me that god didn't have the foresight to see that like wait hold and then i start realizing like oh my gosh wait a second if the gospel were true like black people would have been involved the whole time oh yeah (laughs) and so all of a sudden I start just opening my eyes to like all these weird things that I never even, I mean, the church made sure that like it wasn't anything I ever had to worry about before. And so I start questioning that. And then also I'm a cheerleader. My best friends are gay men. They're the, they're the, my favorite people to hang out with. They're incredible, loving people. Like I love them. Yeah. And I start realizing like how harmful 
these ideologies are to them and mm-hmm. that they would be less than. And I'm like, oh, they're not less than. Yeah. So I, yeah. So then I start questioning like all of these major topics and, and I, it's a, it's a lot. And I just like the way, the best way for me to describe it is I just felt like I just ran out of the building. I just left and didn't go back. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. That I think there were family members who kept calling like the bishop and the missionaries and prompting them to come over to our house because they knew we weren't as active. So was this a you and Tim decision? Yeah. So I, I'm not really sure Tim's story. I'm not sure why or when, but like it was like the moment I said I didn't want to go. Tim's like, okay, cool. And he just stopped going too. And mm-hmm. I think he has his own story with that. All I know is that the timing was great. Like, I'm glad we sure. didn't have to, like, go through, like, one in and one out. It was okay. just as soon as I said I wanted out, he was like, cool, out. Cool. And that was it. Um, but out quietly, meaning we just don't go to church, but we don't want to tell other people that we're not mm. going to church. Mm. <clears throat> but people start realizing that we're not going to church. Right. And so family members are calling and sending a bishop and missionaries over. And so finally we – at one point, like, I have a bishop who he keeps coming over, and I'm like, he's like, yeah, come to church. And I'm like, I don't want to. And he, like, just kept pushing the issue. And he's like, why don't you want to come to church? And I'm like, I don't really want to talk about it. Like, it's okay. Like, I'm just trying to, like, pol- I'm trying to be polite. Mm. Like, I don't really want to talk to you about why I don't want to go to church anymore. But he is, once again, we have this idea that, like, if you are acting on behalf of God, you don't need to respect boundaries. If God is the most important thing and you're bringing people to him— what boundary would be more powerful than that? And so here is this random guy who lives in my neighborhood who feels like he has all, he has the power of God to continue to like question me and push at me and and, and tell me what to do as a grown woman. And so finally, I just felt like I just snapped and I was like, you want to know why I don't go to church? It's because I think you're a pervert. That's why. You want to have sex with lots of women in heaven? That is disgusting. I never want to go to your heaven. And he was like, okay all right, thank you. Like, and he left and that was it. And then I felt like, I felt, I finally felt like, okay, people kind of like, let us alone. Meaning they weren't actively trying to make us go to church, but I still felt like a lot of shame. I remember getting a hug one time from somebody in the family and and they were like, I still pray that I can see you in the celestial kingdom. And I'm like having flashbacks to like the celestial room in the temple. And I was like, I never want to be there. I never want to be there. Like, yeah. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. Write me out. <laughs> yeah. And so when, the more I learned about it, the more sick I felt. And so I just left and I just like left that pile over there. Like I'm not part of it mm-hmm. anymore. It was helpful that, like, my dad wasn't a member of the church. My brothers aren't members at this time. And by this time, my mom is, like, she'll say she's a Mormon, but she's not really, like, she's not she's not really wanting to impose these things on me. So I, I feel like it's safe for me and my family to be like, oh, I'm not a Mormon anymore. Okay. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and that's accepted. Mm-hmm. It really hasn't been until just recently, I think my I think my mom going through, like, her faith crisis she kind of went through it a little bit later and after all of this and I have a really good friend who's going through it and then I found the the Mormon stories podcast and I start hearing these things that I feel like I I have finally started processing Mm. all of all of that trauma that I went through I mean 
this whole entire, well, I will say this. Okay. So I got, I get married in temple. I, we, I'm wearing garments and, and I feel like, you know, God is watching me as I have sex. Oh, ugh. it's so weird. But that's what I think, right? Like, I mean, if he knew I had sex with my boyfriend, he's going to know if I'm having sex. Like, sure. I just feel like there's somebody watching me when mm-hmm. I'm doing this. And so I have such a hard time um, allowing myself to feel good because I feel like, you know, not, I, I don't want to get wet. So like, I can't feel good while <laughs> doing this. Like, and that's really hard to try to have sex when you're not. <laughs> Let's get the lube. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even check. <laughs> Don't even check. Let's get the lube. So, um, which is a good rule of thumb, anyway. So. <laughs> so, like, there would be days like, okay, I think I want to have sex with my husband today, and so like, I wouldn't wear my garments that day because if I went the whole day wearing them, by the time like we were home from work and all that stuff, I'd be like, oh, like don't even look at me. Like, don't look at me. <laughs> Like it it had such a, wearing the garments had such a powerful effect over my, uh, my ability to connect with my body. It, Mm -hmm. it kept me very disconnected from my body. And so, and then even if I took them off, I was like, well, God's still watching anyway. So what are you going to do? So like, I mean, I, I've just kind of struggled with a lot of this silently by myself because Mm. I mean, who am I going to talk to? about this stuff right. I already t- I already talked to God about it I already c- confessed I already ta- did the whole bishop thing like it wasn't until <laughs> making friends with Annie and Taryn and having conversations with them and and they'll say things like they like it and I'm like you do and they're like yeah and I'm like are we allowed to <laughs> and they're like yeah <laughs> and so like talking to them has been in like probably the most helpful thing in detangling all of my religious trauma Mm. and that has been very recent I just like ran out of the building and now I'm like walking back up to the doorstep of the building like looking at the mess that I left there and like trying to like you know piece it apart and see like wow what happened to me and now that I'm like going through therapy and realizing, you know, like I have like these buckets of painful memories and I, th- you know, like it's all my fault is one of my buckets. And I was like, well, of course, that's my bucket. The church told me that my entire family's salvation rested on my shoulders. Wow. So like, it, you know, when I fell short of my own expectations, like, of course, this is all my fault. You are not good enough. Like, well, Yeah. The church gave me that bucket too. You know, they're like, here, go ahead, just start putting your memories in here. Like, <laughs> you are not good enough. It, like, because even um, because I didn't feel the spirit in the way that, or in the settings that people said they were feeling the spirit, then I was like, oh yeah, I'm not feeling it because I'm I'm a bad person. Like, I'm a sinful person. And so I was like, oh yeah, I'm just not good enough. You know. So like, and and there are things within my close relationships that have contributed to that you know like there are parts in my relationship with Tim like oh he added some memories to those buckets or or you know experiences with my brothers like oh they added some memories to those buckets but I, I feel like I feel like the church like handed me these buckets and now I'm like you're right collect it yeah and I'm just like sifting through my experiencing realizing or sifting through my experiences realizing how much of this was not okay and how much of this was not my fault like or even bad at all that now even though I haven't been a member for of the church for a long time like it still had all this power over me 
because I still thought things were my fault. And it's, it's only been recently that I'm like, oh, no. That was unhealthy. That was a toxic environment. Um, that was a disrespect of boundaries. That was uh, somebody trying to have power over me. That was an abuse of power. Um, that was sexual assault. Like, being able to put these words to some of these experiences have has helped me feel more connected to myself because it wasn't myself to begin with that was the problem. Yeah. Wow. So when I say things that like I need that reminder all the time of like, trust yourself, trust yourself. God, I am not joking around when I say like, oh no, I really needed to know that. Like going back and telling my younger self that like, man, if I could go back to that girl who's like about to walk into that room to tell that guy that thing she did. I mean, I am feeling like sick to my stomach. Like, I wish I could tell her, like, trust yourself. You don't want to be here. You don't have to be here. You are not a bad person because you have to be here. You can choose to leave anytime. You know, like, I wish I could have told myself, but I didn't trust myself. I trusted the man across the table from me who was acting on behalf of God. And he deliberately abused his power and has had an effect on me ever since in my relation, in my most intimate relationship with my husband. Like, that is miserable to be well into your 30s. Like, I'm trying not to get wet. <laughs> Can't even tell you how difficult that is. <laughs> and, and, and what's crazy, you know, and, and we're going to get into this more, but like what's crazy about that is because I am a human being and I cannot defy biology, it happens. Yeah. And so it's really in, you know, like the next morning or the next day when I feel like, that was horrific what I did horrific I'm a whore like that is terrible and that really takes away that really detracts from my relationship with my spouse as well to feel so much shame about you know sharing that act with somebody yeah like they've really had a lot of power over me even though I haven't even been there and so you know, messages that I would want to share. Like if you are half in and half out, or if you've been wondering, if you have questions, Mm. things I would want to say to you is, I mean, you can run out of the building if you want, but it is a real, it's a real trauma. It's a real tragedy and you deserve actual healing. And so get help, especially in Utah County. There are therapists who are specialized in faith crisis. Like get help. Because it's such a brainwashing, you can't just walk away from it. Mm -hmm. And even if you do, everybody else in your community is still, they're still up, they're still holding up the church. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, we keep, you'll hear in the coming episodes, you know, when we talk to Scott and Maddie and I'll, and I'll use this term now, like we talk a lot about deconstructing, like that word keeps coming up, like you need to deconstruct. And it is, it is like you need to bulldoze the idea, your idea of God and just let everything crumble. Like you need to deconstruct it and then stack your bricks how you want them, mm. how it feels right to you. Yeah. Um, you need to deconstruct. You cannot just walk away. I don't know. Maybe some people can. 
I don't know. For my experience, I felt like I thought that I could. And and in going back, I'm realizing like, wow, this was so tangled up and knotted inside of me. Well, it's into the very fiber of your being, right? And Mm -hmm. so to not deconstruct that, it maybe feels impossible because how do you, how do you take out that one thing that it was like the canvas in which you painted your mm-hmm. life on. And so yeah. how do you take the paint off of the canvas? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. or still have the picture without the canvas. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. like just, so I'm learning it's, it, it's very deep. It's not mm-hmm. surface level and, and, you know, faith crisis is a, is a real heavy thing. And, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, needing help and needing assistance and needing that guidance and that validation and that safe space, I think could, you know, ultimately be life-saving. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do have to like come up with your own idea of God. For me, I, I have, and I'll share it. Not because I think, not because I want to preach this. I kind of like that it's just mine. So I will share it with you if you would like, but I'm not trying to like proselyte anything. As I have learned more like in psychology and like just in my own life experiences with shame, just realizing that like that idea of sin. So to feel like I was a sinful person and that I wasn't worthy. The I, I just don't believe in sin. Like sin just isn't a real thing to me. I don't believe there is a sin. Mm-hmm. I believe anything that anybody does is um, that we would consider a sin. It's just an expression of pain. Mm. And lots of times it is that person's best tool to not feel the pain, right? Like, I mean, drugs especially. Like, people who do drugs aren't sinful people. These are people who feel pain who would like to not feel pain. These Mm. are good human beings who don't want to be in pain. And so they're doing the best they can with the tools that they have available. And it probably works for a while until it doesn't work anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And so you have love and you have the absence of love. And when people feel the absence of love, they would go to desperate measures in order to feel loved. And I think that's what keeps people in the church. That's what kept me in the church. Like I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to feel good enough. Mm -hmm. I wanted to feel like I was a good person and, and, and what I did mattered. And so if if that was to my detriment, meaning, okay, well, I have no boundaries and I'm responsible for everyone around me, so be it because that makes me feel love. Because I want to feel That good. is a drug just as much as heroin is, okay? Yeah. Like, it was so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. I have just felt the consequences of those unhealthy behaviors and mm-hmm. how that's impacted every relationship I've had. Yep. So, yeah, I think my capacity to feel love and specifically within myself. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. It is amazing to be able to feel love within yourself. Mm. Yeah. So if you are scared that you, if you leave the church, like you, Satan will get you and you will never feel, you know, good again. I just want you to know like, oh no, you haven't even felt good yet. For me, like very literally. <laughs> Stay tuned for November. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
my ability to like just be with people and not have to answer all of their questions my ability to just be with people and just let them feel their feelings without trying to like toxic positivity that shit away like Mm -hmm. my my ability to just be uncertain like it's okay for me to be like yeah I don't know what happens when I die that's okay yeah I don't have to know all I like I have right now what am I doing with right now Mm. you know and Mm. so yeah your ability to sit with uncertainty can like it just increases absolutely your ability to be actually kind to other people and not fake kind because you're trying to proselyte to them or like be a missionary to them like your ability just to really accept other human beings it I mean it just opens up mm-hmm. immensely when you don't have this idea of I have the truth, you do not. Mm-hmm. I do good, you are sinning. Mm. Like when you let go of that, your ability to feel love and acceptance and peace increases. Magnifies. Yeah. And then you get to define your spirituality in your own way. Like maybe you go up the canyon every Sunday because being in nature makes you feel spiritual well maybe true contentment maybe yeah. maybe true spirituality mm-hmm. right like like you open that door because it sounds like what you're saying is you're like i'm in a situation i'm being told that i should feel the spirit and what i am feeling inside does not feel good opening up yourself and your heart uh to those things where you can really feel that that true mm-hmm. oneness or connected um or yeah like that spirit yeah. Which is it's which is tough because it sucks that some of these really beautiful and sacred words have been taken mm-hmm. and poisoned mm-hmm. in in such a way because I even I have a pushback against some of the language that is used mm-hmm. but it sucks that like well filling I think that like filling the spirit is a real thing and I would use different terminology than that but. You open yourself to really being able to feel that. Mm-hmm. I, I just wonder how many people are. Yeah. Well, feeling the spirit is like feeling your oneness, your mm-hmm. connectedness to all. That contentment, like that ease, mm-hmm. that peace, mm-hmm. that slowing down. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, we can cut this or whatever, but like I just don't feel like the church, the environment in which it's grown in does not create one of slowness. Mm-hmm. It's very busy. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very, uh, what's that word called? Like, don't ask questions, just take it. Yeah. Like, like this is being handed to you, carry it, mm-hmm. stand in line. Um, yeah. And, and so that environment limits that ability to be at ease mm-hmm. when you're consistently performing mm-hmm. or looking around to make sure that you're doing oh the things gosh. that other people are doing. It is. It's a performance. Yes. Well, it sounds like it, right? Like if yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, raise your hand at this point, touch your nose, turn around, clap your hands, somebody, the men stand up, women don't move. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That doesn't. Yeah. It is a performance. It's so conducted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and they do that. Who, they, they conduct the meeting. Who's conducting the meeting today? Well, God is. Oh. <laughs> Maybe a human, but they're acting as God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that when you deconstruct God or what that means to you, I think it just opens up to, to remaining in the present moment mm-hmm. and anything can feel godly. Mm-hmm. So if you're drinking your, you know, like your coffee, like mm-hmm. that feels like a really mm-hmm. connecting and intentional moment. Somebody might laugh at that. That's absolutely fine. But 
it's those moments of, of connection. And so whether you find it differently, I think that we can settle on that same feeling. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Okay. So you guys, that was just my experience. And mm. and not even all of it, right? Like we're trying to like jam this yeah, into like yeah. one conversation you can sit through and listen. We have two other people who have been incredibly brave in sharing their experience because yes. I will tell you like one of the things that has that is thrown at the people who are leaving the church or in a faith crisis is you know like their character is challenged, you know like oh they're lazy or they're sinful. But this is not a willy-nilly decision. And when you, as you will hear these following stories, you will see like the depth and like and the pain that comes with losing your entire identity mm-hmm. and having to build a new one as an adult mm-hmm. who is still existing in a community that is like drenched in this um, toxic environment. So we hope that you enjoy them and honor them as they are very brave and vulnerable. Yeah. If you would like to share your story, if you have questions, please reach out to us. You can DM us on Instagram. You can send us an email. Mm -hmm. You can send us a message on Patreon, but we would love to hear from you because there are as many human beings as there are. There's that many different ways to experience a religion, you know? And so we would love to hear from you. We just want to share a big thank you to everybody who helped make this episode possible. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Drop into our DMs. You can find us on Instagram at I totally relate pod. Or you can share your feedback and insights with us at I totally relate pod at gmail.com. We totally want to get to know you. See you next time. Peace out.